practice is underway. We are rolling right along through the offseason. In less than six weeks, we'll have college basketball games for us all to watch. I am starting to sniff it, Brad. It's getting so close. Um, but yet, so far, we've still got uh, well over a month to go. We've got um, you know practice reports coming in hot. We've got recruiting news coming in hot. But I just can't wait for the real thing, man. No, I mean, I'm, I've, I've gotten to the point where I... I need the season, and I need it now. And, I mean, those – you know, there's always, like, two or three weeks of NBA basketball before uh, college basketball starts. And, I mean, no one's ever been more interested in random regular season games than I am for those three weeks. Where, you know, I'll, you know maybe I'll watch more NBA this year. And then, you know, after those three weeks and the, the, free, the, the free trial of uh, league pass expires, you know, then, then it's all – old college basketball until you know april um but yeah i mean we, we need something you know i've been watching i've been trying to watch aau games i've been trying to watch foreign trip games but you know, nothing's going to beat some, some some real live action with some uh with some stakes you know even the buy games have some stakes today on the show we're going to um continue our deep dives we've got baylor and florida state and we'll also uh, take you through some of those NCAA futures, the worst bets uh, for the national title odds. Uh, we're using Bovada Sportsbook uh, for those odds. Of course, we'll be giving you guys uh, tons of preview content. We're still kind of mapping out our month of October in terms of exactly what's going to be on the podcast. Um, I know on my end, of course, October 1st, I begin my 32 conferences and 32 days journey through the college basketball landscape. I'll have a conference preview for you every day. I've been writing away all weekend really all all of september trying to get these loaded up so uh still some to write as the month progresses but um have a good head start on those and you'll get those beginning on tuesday the first uh which is always a very exciting thing for me to do to release all that stuff and again i think the biggest thing with, with anyone who's creating college basketball preview content and i'm sure all you listeners know this is just to support us whether it's you know monetarily i know jordan sperber just launched his amazing hoop vision plus uh, can't recommend that enough. Um, uh, you will just become a smarter basketball fan. So if you're, you know, considering a membership, a subscription this time of year, I think that's definitely something to look into. For me, you know, this is this is all free. This is all my free time. So uh, if you, if you can, you know, toss a retweet out or share it on a message board, do anything to help me get my work out there, I really do appreciate. It. And the same goes, obviously, with the podcast. You know, likes, rates, subscribes, everything does help as we try to grow our our. I guess brands would be the right word, Brad, as we uh, head into the college basketball season. But just a reminder for those listening, you know, try to support us as best you can. It's it's how we create this content. It's not easy always, but uh, it's what we love to do. Yeah, and uh, just uh, before we get started, too, um, in terms of content, uh, there was one thing that I found uh, that I thought was very, very interesting. Um, and so that's, you know, with, with Duke, right? I mean, Duke is... You know, Duke and uh, Kentucky are, are like the biggest brands in uh, college basketball, right? Any offer that they give out to a player is is really treated with uh, reverence. And you know, when when a player, you know, it's October or or November, and you know, Duke misses on a target, they kind of move on to the second tier guys, who a lot of the other big college basketball brands have been prioritizing. Yet Duke seems to always be able to you know kind of snag them there. Um, you know, guys like Jordan Tucker. Uh, come to mind there. Uh, but so Hunter Dickinson, who's a top 50 player, he's a 7-2 center, like a polished post scorer. You know, it's looking like 
maybe he was going to go to Michigan, maybe he was going to go to Louisville or Florida State or Purdue. Duke is now coming with the offer after Walker Kessler inexplicably uh, commits to a UNC. He didn't consult us on that one, Kevin. We would have we would have steered him to Duke or Auburn, where he could have made a really big impact um, because of the lack of center there. Um, but so, you know, once once they give the offer or, or or start to ramp up their interest in Dickinson. I wanted to look back and see how how successful um, the you know these these type of situations are for Duke, right? So I went back to 2010, okay, and they took nine players in those nine or ten years that were ranked between 30 and in 100 in, in the 24/7 composite. So those nine players, on average, seven minutes per game and two points. One points per game as freshmen, okay. Compared, so then six of those nine players were ranked between thirty-one and forty. So I looked at the past five years, so a sample of almost fifty players, guys ranked between thirty-one and forty. They averaged twenty-two point nine minutes per game, eight point nine points a game. I then looked at that same sample, but only did like the biggest brands, right? So I I, I like took out like an Ethan Thompson from. From, from Oregon State, a few other guys like that, and I, I took guys from like Kansas, Michigan State, et cetera, to to really focus on like the big brands, right? So like that that tier two of of uh, recruiting powers, and those guys in that range as freshmen averaged nineteen point nine minutes per game and seven point two minutes per game. So I mean three times the production, two and a half times more playing time at anywhere else besides Duke. I I, I've I've never been more more convinced at this point. If, if you're not a five star player or a sub 100 player with the rare Duke offer, you should not even consider going there because I mean it, it's a wasteland. And you know you might say, well, well, that's just their freshman stats, right? How how they perform otherwise? And a guy like the, the best player from that sample of nine was was Quinn Cook, right? He was a very good player, uh, but you know he was he was the fourth best player on a national championship team and you know now now he's in the nba right so you say well well it was a success right he won a national championship and now he's in the nba well you know why couldn't he do that elsewhere right it, he, you know, he was such a highly regarded recruit you know why couldn't he gone to the to like a unc or like a louisville level school play a lot more scored a lot more you know maybe maybe he even gets drafted you know maybe his uh, career has a different uh, a trajectory um you know being able to develop on the court more. So that, you know, that was just something interesting that I found that I wanted to mention uh, before we jumped into the teams. Yeah, that's great stuff. Um, before we did those, those two teams today, uh, we also want to just do some of those worst future odds for the NCAA tournament. Uh, again, those from Bovada, uh, those lines. So, um, Brad, any, any lines that catch your eye? I know I have one in particular that I know you're not going to like. Um, but I'll toss another one kind of out there. Virginia, ten to one plus a thousand. I mean, that, that's crazy talk, right? I mean, you can get Kansas or North Carolina or Louisville or Florida at better odds than Virginia to win a title. I mean, obviously there's inflation because they just came off the title, but that seems like easy money to me on Bovada. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, Gary Parish, you know, talks about this a lot on 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 the CBS podcast, but it's, it's like teams that win the championship are usually 
you know, there's like a certain cutoff in terms of that they're both in a top, I don't know, top 10 or top 50 in, in offense and defense, right? Even if Virginia has a successful year, their offense is going to stink, right? Like, like the, the path for a successful Virginia campaign where they, where they reach expectations and they're that two or three seed in the NCAA tournament is they have like the second best defense and like the 40th best offense. Um, and, you know, it, even that, that, that might be a stretch. So, I mean, Virginia just, just doesn't have the firepower to win at all. And, I mean, it's, it's smart for, that, for uh, Bovada to, to rank them so highly in terms of odds because they just won and they have a pretty strong fan base. Um, so, so that would have some appeal. For me, and I know that you know that this is where I'm going, right? Don't go anywhere near Tennessee at a plus 5,000. I mean, that's, that's absurd, okay? I mean, <laughs> Tennessee had a, had a great team this year. They lost their two best players to the NBA. They lost what made them so special um, on, on the defensive end, which was their interior defense, losing Williams and Kyle Alexander. And they also lost one of the most underrated players in the entire country, and Jordan Bone is now on, on the Detroit Pistons. Uh, so this is a team that's totally rebuilding. Um, and their uh, front court, you know, you know, could be fine defensively, but offensively it's, it's in really rough shape. Yeah, I think that's one that I would highlight as well. I mean, I think when you're looking through kind of for our worst odds, you're really just looking for any team that just doesn't really conceivably have a shot at winning a national title, like in any capacity. And obviously that's the challenge because some of the, some of the not lines listed by Bovada are more just like big brands. You know, like Syracuse has a line. I don't think they're kind of necessarily worthy of a line. Indiana has a line. Like, you know, you're throwing money down the drain, unlikely. But, you know, you know, stuff like that. Like UConn, UCLA, like what's the point? But, uh, yeah, I think I think you, we hit the major ones. I think Michigan at 25-1, to 1, you know, that's a little rich. I don't really see them as having national title juice. I don't think they have the talent to win a national title. And, you know, it would be incredibly rarefied air for a first-year coach to, to, to even really sniff it. Uh, so I think from that perspective, I think that's probably, you know, pretty poor, a pretty poor number to get. Um, yeah, I think that's the only other one that I would really highlight is, um, you know, rough odds in the upper tier of, of teams in, that, in this group. Yes, you mentioned that uh, Bovetta has UConn at, uh, what, 100-1? to 1. Um, I mean, second year for Dan Hurley. I think Kevin Ollie won in his second year. Oh, yes. <laughs> you never know. But no, I mean, I would be surprised if a UConn makes a tournament. I mean, they'll, they'll be in the mix. But, I mean, this isn't anywhere close to a tournament contender compared to some of the, some of the other teams um, on the list. But, I mean, they're, they're a, very, a very big brand with a very big fan base. So it makes sense that they're in there. Um, I just really want to bet a little bit of money on New Mexico State 200-1 to 1 to win it all. I mean, they're... they're, they're they're better than, than a lot of these teams on the list, right? They're, they're better than UCLA. They're better than UConn, better than Indiana, Texas A&M. Um, I think you can have them in front of, like, a Syracuse or Illinois. Iowa without Bohannon It's not going to be very good. So, I, you know, in terms of value, you know, that could be pretty good value compared to some of the other teams. Yeah, I mean, I guess the best case with them is, like, Loyola Chicago or Butler. Like, a legit top 30 team. That gets a really good draw and makes a run, which is basically what any high major would be doing. Like, I don't think if you're betting on, like, I don't know, Florida State would be a pretty good example. Like, you're not betting that they're going to be a top 10 team. 
Like you're betting that they'll have a good draw and run through the thing. So I guess you know getting that extra juice for it being a mid major kind of makes sense. I just I don't think it can happen. But again, I mean it'd be it's fun. I just love that they it just it's just so out of place with the rest of the list because there's not a single other mid major unless you can Gonzaga on this list and then just randomly tossed in you know, at, at plus twenty thousand New Mexico State. Yeah, where's uh, where's Western Kentucky? Where's Harvard? Come on, guys. But speaking of New Mexico State, I know that we've uh, touched on this before about how they can have so many scholarship scholarship caliber guys. They have they have eighteen this year on Insanity. on their official roster. You know, because sometimes, especially with a school like New Mexico State, that you know can can exceed the uh, scholarship limit based on. Uh, a specific circumstances with their school, you know, you'll see guys commit, and then when you know, you'll be looking at the ro- the, the roster that 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 you track, and then well, they have twenty guys, and then you look at the roster, and they, and they only have like fourteen or fifteen. I had eighteen guys. I double checked. I I uh, cross referenced with the roster. They're all on there, and two of them are sitting this year: Evan Gilliard, the transfer from UTEP, and Carl Lewis, who was a former top one hundred recruit. Um, who academics weren't in order, so he's being like a non-qualifier there. Um, but so they have 16 guys who could potentially be active. I think you can. Actually, I'm not sure if there's a rule on how many people you can have active because teams like UNC and Syracuse always carry a lot of walk-ons, and in blowouts, you know, they can use all those walk-ons. So I'm I'm not sure. Um, I, I doubt I doubt we'll see many games with the Aggies playing all. All uh, sixteen of these eligible guys. I I would pencil in all their freshmen as guys who are going to redshirt this year. It's like Rashawn Agee, who I know they got. I had heard with a qualifying concern, so I'm assuming he's going to sit this year. He's going to be really good for them. Like that's a steal. Um, I would assume Jihon Westbrook is the same way. Um, Verbals has him redshirting this year uh, and walking on, which would mean non-qual. Uh, and with with New Mexico State, because they can take non-qualifiers. There's really no reason to take anyone but non-qualifiers as freshmen, right? Because you can go JUCO, grad transfer, and sit-out transfer to fill out the roster in terms of like immediately eligible players. So just take all these kids and and, base, and, and redshirt them the year and develop. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a, a unique part of this NMSU job, and I don't think it was something that was valued enough when Jeff Goodman did his job rankings. I still think Grand Canyon is the, right, the best, best job in the league because they pay better and you know better location, whatever, but... One of the main things that makes New Mexico State so attractive is the fact that you can take literally anyone, get them into school, and then have them sit the year. Yeah, and, and, and that's a very thin market of teams that are willing to use a scholarship on a guy like that. New Mexico State you know, doesn't have to use that scholarship. Um, so I know, you know Providence has taken a non-qualifier in the past. Uh, South Carolina held a spot for uh, Jermaine Cousinard uh, uh, this year. Um, I don't know if that was it like an intentional move. I know he had qualifying concerns. I don't know if they knew he was going to be ineligible. Uh, Villanova with Amari Spellman too. Um, so it's, it's a pretty effective strategy. You just need to be willing to save the scholarship for a guy like that and have the faith that the guy's willing to stick around and not head to Juco uh, with a New Mexico State's kind of interesting wrinkle. You know, they don't have to use scholarship and uh, there's not a lot of flight risk. So that's, that, that's a really good situation for them. Yeah, just one more um, example of a guy who sat the year um, and I think pays their own way because of the full non-qualifier status um, was James Ellis at Duquesne. 
who can be eligible this year. He's like a seven nine wingspan or something ridiculous like that. Um, was like a high upside kid that they took and and got him to prop for the year. So uh, definitely something to watch. Um, probably something that we just talked about for like five minutes and no one else in the world cares about. But hey, if you, if you do, you've come to the right place, right? Yeah. We always we come give, here for the minutia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we give you five minutes to show on that stuff. So uh, shall we get into Baylor, our first deep dive of the day? Let's do it. Last year, 35th in Ken Palm, 20 and 14 overall, 10 and 8 in the Big 12. Lost in the second round to Gonzaga. This is a team that was left for dead, right? They they lose to Texas Southern to start the year, who was 195th in Ken Palm. If the, I, I don't know if the number on Ken Palm's schedule is what they were ranked at the time, what they ended at. Um, and they also lost at home to Stephen F. Austin, who was ranked 311th. Um, you know, they had they had a couple guys who who were banged up, or, or a Kegler was suspended at one point. Um, but their their biggest blow came midseason when their best player Tristan Clark um, got got injured and was out. But they were able to actually play better without their best player, surprisingly. And a team that I left for dead completely turned it around in the Big Twelve, where quality wins grow on trees. Right? It's it's extremely difficult to win a game and not have it uh, move move the needle for your resume. Um, and, and, and Baylor took advantage. They were 20th in offense last year, 75th in defense, 297th in tempo. Um, they were second in offensive rebounding uh, percentage last year. Kevin, do you know the one team that that uh, rebounded the ball better than Baylor on the offensive end? Portland State. Did you look that up or did you know that? I wrote my big sky preview like a week ago. There you go. Yeah. That's it. And, you know. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know of Portland State as like that. That being a defining characteristic for them. I remember when they were in the PK eighty, they played somebody tough, right? Was it Duke? Yeah, yeah they played. I think they played Carolina tough. Carolina tough. But they they they're weird. Like they have a lot of guards, but they just crack the glass like crazy. And they they took some good transfers this offseason. They got Marcus Golder. They got Austin Trice from Kansas State, who's going to sit a year. They got Alonzo Walker from Idaho State. Um, they got some. Oh, they got Hauser from Santa Clara, Matt Hauser, uh, the guard. They they got some interesting pieces, but enough on Portland State. Let's get back to Baylor. If so, you know Clark Clark goes down at the center position, and they you know turn to Freddie Gillespie, who was a D three transfer. They turn Florent Tamba, um, who was like a I I think he was a three. Maybe he was a you know maybe he snuck into four star status, but you know very unproven. And then they also used. Uh, Vital and uh, Kegler a little bit as like s- small ball big men, um, but their the best aspect of of their defense was their interior defense, and you know maybe this has a lot to do with the zone um, that that Scott Drew usually employs. But they were 19th in block rate, 66 in two point percentage defense, um, and guys like Gillespie and Tamba, you know they they didn't play enough to qualify, but it, if they had, they both would have had very good block rates that would have uh, would have placed them in the top 100 nationally. And then just lastly, um, you know, they played their best ball without without their best player, Tristan Clark. So you know, even though he's back and there's a lot of optimism around Baylor, um, you know, this is really like a completely new team. Um, and then uh, 66th in bench minutes, 299th, though, in a minutes continuity, you know, bringing guys in like Makai Mason, uh, 
transferring Kegler, transferring in Gillespie, um, ranked them low in that experience metric. And then, you know, their, their, their most used lineup in their last five games per Kempon had, had three guards along with Kegler and, and Vital. They, they can't really do that this year. You know, with the Kegler gone, they don't really have another kind of physical wing that can slide down and play that four spot. Um, Vital is really a straight four, and they got some mileage out of him at the five. But I, w- I would be surprised if they can um, cobble together a lineup that has Vital being the biggest guy. Yeah, no, that's, that's all good points. Um, just quickly, one stat that I think is really interesting about the Clark um, contrast, and I could not believe it uh, when I read it. So I know you said 20th in offensive efficiency for the season per Ken Palm. I use T-Rank because I can change the dates, and that's why I, I checked. So T-Rank had them as the 22nd best offense in the country. So before Tristan Clark gets hurt, and Tristan Clark shot 74% from the field last season. He was an enormously efficient offensive player. That's five percentage points better than anyone who qualified for the leaderboard last year. Uh, obviously, Clark didn't, play, uh, Clark didn't play enough games. But number one in the country was Brandon Clark at 69%, then Zion Williamson at 68%. He shot 74% from the field. And, and they ranked 174th in offensive efficiency in the games without Tristan, with Tristan Clark, 14 games. After he goes down, they were the eighth-best offense in the country per T-rank. I, I, I can't describe how incredible a statistic that is because they took the most efficient front-court scorer in the country, had him go to the bench and not play for the rest of the season, and somehow went from one of the worst offenses in the Power Five at 174. That is not a good number. That is not a good number. To... A top 10 offense in college basketball. That is an absolutely remarkable number. And so, so Kegler, I think, missed what? The first seven games, so half of those time. When, yeah. uh, but, I mean, he didn't, light, he didn't really light the world on fire himself. Um, Makai Mason missed six games. So he, but I, I don't know if that overlapped. Let me check his game log here. Um, Mackay Mason, who I, I was actually at the game when Yale and, and Mackay Mason beat Baylor in Providence, um, NCAA tournament first round a few years ago. I I hate how the ESPN game blog now doesn't show the games that he that he didn't play in, but it looks like he also missed some early games. Um, I mean, obviously that plays into it, but yeah. I still think it's insanity. It is because the guys who that who, who they replaced Clark with, you know. Gillespie and, and Tamba put up good defensive numbers, but I mean they're not offensive guys. You know they're very limited offensively. Uh, and then even Mark Mark Vital, who's a very interesting player, uh, you know he's he he's not really an offensive guy either. He's like a bully ball, get get to the rim, crash the offensive glass guy. You know so they 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 downgraded at at one position, but I guess that just let them um, throw out multiple guards that you know. Playing guys like Mason, Butler, McClure, and Bandu, playing three of those guys at once, I guess, really opened up the floor for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just quickly on the incoming and outgoing guys for uh, for Baylor, they bring in three players who will be eligible this year: Jordan Turner, their lone freshman, uh, a fringe top one hundred and fifty wing at six seven, who might be able to contribute right away 
in a bench capacity. Um, they get two transfers who will be eligible this year after sitting out last year and two transfers who will sit this year after playing last season at their previous destinations. So the two eligible guys, Davion Mitchell, uh, comes in from Auburn, was like a nice sixth man for them, and then Macy Oteague from UNC Asheville, uh, who was a terrific player for two years at uh, at Asheville. That was a, that was a huge get for Baylor. I did I had looked over his stats today and was you know very impressed with his shooting numbers. He shot forty three percent last season that he played at UNC Asheville. Um, he was very efficient. I watched him a lot with them. He 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 is that good a shooter. He he's very impressive. And then they grabbed two sit-out transfers, Adam Flagler from App State, who was terrific as a freshman, kind of in the Teague mold. And then Jonathan Chamwa Chachua uh, from UNLV, who's like an upside play at the big man spot. So uh, Baylor loves their sit-out transfers, and they get two more in this class. And then they lose three guys, Makai Mason and King McClure graduate in the backcourt. And then uh, just this week, probably the latest news we've had so far of the season, uh, of the offseason, Mario Kegler um, is – departing he was suspended indefinitely and then decides to head to the pro rank so his strange career of transferring at mississippi state when he would have played a ton then sitting out a year at baylor getting suspended at baylor and then get suspended again now he's gone so um i know rostin had the tweet of like oh it might be addition by subtraction i don't really buy that but i don't think he was such an irreplaceable piece for them yeah that was clearly directly from a coach's mouth that like he 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 tweets it, either Scott Drew, one of the assistants or the SID, whoever it is, sees people be like, oh no, Bill oh, Baylor's in trouble, we'll move him down, and, and had to set the record straight. <laughs> that was clearly what that quick follow up tag from an assistant or. Um, but I mean, the the biggest thing that is, you know, I mean, I can't really go small anymore. I'm not sure if if they'll want to now with uh, Clark healthy. Uh, but now it's going to Matt Meyer, who's a former top 100, maybe even top 75. Um, he has he has great size. He's like six nine. Um, he he's he's supposed to be a better shooter than his his 31 percent last year. Um, but you know, I'm sure he'll shoot it better this year as a sophomore. And you know, he'll he'll get bumped up to a little bigger role. And then you mentioned Jordan Turner earlier, who who you know has has that profile of like a three and D wing. He has great size. I know Fran, uh, Fran Fraschill has talked him up on Twitter a few times. So probably both those guys play. Um, and, you know, it, in order to give Baylor some, some more size on, on the wing in, in their zone, um, you know, guys who can play the three, three or, or the four in that system and really shoot the ball. Yeah, I was penciling in uh, Meyer as the backup four. Um, but he'll play a lot of minutes, uh, especially just kind of with how everything breaks down. Uh, for them, yeah. I mean, they're 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 kind of a they're not necessarily a guard. They're like a wing short, as as we said. You ideally not want to have to count too much on a fringe one fifty kid like Turner, uh, freshman year. But I think they'll probably need to use him at least a little bit, um, just because of his ability to, uh, uh, just his ability to play the three is more like a traditional wing. And like you said, Frischel has talked him up a little bit. Uh, I watched a little tape. He looks like you said, kind of that three and D mold. So. Um, It'll be an interesting backcourt. I think, you know, there's not maybe one star in that unit, but you've got, you know, the potential for four really good ones, right? I mean, Devontae Bandu is a very solid player. He was, you know, efficient, you know, off-ball, off-ball player who can, you know, create his own shot a little bit. Uh, Butler was very good as a freshman. 
Um, just pulling his stats here. We averaged like 10, 3, and 3. Uh, I know he was going to go to Bama and then decommitted because he had like a heart issue um, right before they got Kyra Lewis, which was kind of funky. He's got to be a little more efficient, got to take care of the basketball a little better, but he's a nice, you know, long-term piece for them. Uh, and you got Mitchell, who can play the point or be kind of a six-man type. You got Teague, who's a, really a natural off guard, but can, you know, initiate some ball screen action. You know, they've got a lot of depth in the backcourt. Maybe not depth in terms of, like, we have six guys we want to play, but we have, you know, four really, really good ones. And uh, that, that's certainly pretty exciting as you, you profile this unit. Yeah, I think, you know, Maybe they wish that they had one guy, a little more high, a a little more high, high profile. Like Danju and Mitchell are, you know, definitely would be in in the rotation on a good team. Um, maybe like a fifth starter, but th- you know they're going to be asked to do, to do a little more. I think Mitchell's going to be a starting point guard. And he was a backup point guard on, on a very good Auburn team. He can really defend, uh, but I think he's going to be asked to do a little more creating this year. Uh, Jared Butler is the guy who I think a lot of people think could really take the next step. He 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 could have been on the U19 team, I guess. You know, he he was a late add to the tryout after a few guys backed out. Uh, like like RJ Hampton uh, was was one who definitely backed out. Um, Butler was added. He makes the first cut and then leaves early due to a, a, a personal matter, I think. Um, but apparently he 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 would have been on the team. Which which uh, makes sense, you know. He's not super quick, uh, but you know he can get to the rim with his kind of craft and and in his ball handling, and you know he can really shoot it. Um, so he's he's a player who I think could uh, really take a next step in terms of scoring the ball next to Mitchell in the backcourt. And then you have a pair of really good shooters in Bandu and Teague. I think you know maybe that they're just like a star away, and you know maybe Butler could be that star. Agree. I, I think they do need a, need a guy who, who who has that it factor. I don't think they necessarily have that. Um, I'm curious what you think of 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 how they started. Sounds like you think Mitchell gets the start as like a more of a true point guard, and then you play Butler as a second guard, and then Bandu on uh, that third guard. But you know, looking at the stats, I mean, I remember liking Davion Mitchell, but you know, he's not a super high assist guy. Um, the assist turnover rate was, was solid, but not spectacular. He also struggled to shoot the ball. I think, you know, there's, there's a case to be made for giving more ball handling responsibilities, um, to Jared Butler and playing him next to Macy Teague. Teague is a guy who, you know, can really shoot the ball, would help their spacing, especially if they're going to play more of a traditional two big look. Um, you know, he can handle it too. He's, he's definitely not just like a catch and shoot guy. He's a shot creator, shot maker type, um, you know, obviously it's very difficult to, to project some of these transfers fitting in because there's more there's more to it um, than just, you know, just the flat efficient than just flat numbers at their previous schools. But, you know, he's a guy who scored over a thousand points in two years. You know, he's a he's a very solid defender. He's got very long arms, which I think would help uh, in that zone. So, you know, I, I, I was considering penciling Butler as the starting point guard and Teague off the ball. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's. That's going to happen a fair amount of, amount of what, right? These right. these four guys are all going to play north of twenty minutes a game. I think Butler's the one the one sure thing out of the four uh, to start. But especially with 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 the success of those three small guards uh, last year, you know when they used like the Mason McClure Bandu look or, or 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 Butler in there for one of those guys. I think that they're definitely going to start with with three of the guards. 
and bring like a Matthew Meyer off the bench. You know, he's he's a real swing piece because he, you know, he'll let them go a little bigger if he can shoot it. That you know that gives him even more shooting because we know that Bandu and Teague can both really shoot. And and, and I think Butler, uh, you know, he can. He can really shoot as well. I think his, his percentages will kind of bear that out more this year. Um, but, you know, Mitchell's stats weren't very good, but, you know, he was on a loaded Auburn team where, you know, they they had a bunch of different scorers, right? So he, he's out there. He's playing with Jared Harper or Bryce Brown or Mustafa Heron, right? Guys guys who need the ball and are you know, looking to score. I think his, his stats look so low, I think, because he had to do, um, you know, kind of more of, a fifth guy and you know, even even as the nominal point guard you know he wasn't really creating as much so I think the stats will definitely increase a little this year uh, but I think Butler you know is is, is the, the primary guy here in the backcourt yeah I, I'd, I'd certainly buy that and the numbers back it up down the stretch Butler averaged close to 14 points a game in his final 10 or 12 games so um, that's definitely um, something where you know, he'll be he'll be the number one option, I think, with his offense. The question is really, you know, how how much does Drew want to go with him as more of a lead creator, and how much does he prefer Davion Mitchell? Who, yeah, I remember liking him a lot when I watched games, and I think when he transferred from Auburn, a lot of people said, you know, that's a blow, and they replaced him a lot with Javon McCormick. But I think he's probably a little bit better than McCormick, um, so that that's it is definitely a blow that they lost him. Uh, obviously, that's long ago at this point, but um, they have they have a nice stable of guards, a bunch of guys who can get buckets. They have kind of the, the nice thing of they've probably got four guys who can give you twenty in a game if you needed it to. I mean, you're never gonna all in the same game, but you've got you know four different guys who can explode and kind of win you a basketball game. And then you got these two really great front court guys in in Clark and uh, Vital, who you know Clark, as I mentioned at the top, was. You know, the most efficient post score in the country. He's at 76% on twos. Um, hurled a couple of threes that didn't go down. So we'll see if he can develop that part of his game a little bit. I don't think he is really that guy, though. He's more of a an interior presence. He's a really good shot blocker, um, you know, solid rebounder. And then, you know, you got your dirty work guy. Uh, he, he, he rebound and uh, do everything you need as, as your foreman and Vital. So uh, really like the, 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 the clear starting five. I think, as you mentioned, uh, the swing piece comes. Can they get something out of a guy like Matt Meyer? And you know, one one thing that I love about uh, Mark Mark Vitale, right? He's only six five, but he was sixteenth in offensive rebound percentage. He's just like a bulldog inside, um, and and that and that physicality is uh, really needed when you play the three small guards. My question here, I mean, look at the roster. Gillespie played a lot down the stretch last year. Tamba. You know, you know, was in the rotation. I think that there's only room for one of the two of of, of Gillespie and uh, Tamba in the rotation. But do you think that we'll see any lineups with with Clark and uh, one of the true centers uh, uh, together in like a more more imposing uh, front court pairing? I think a lot of that's dependent on Meyer, right? Um, where you kind of where where if you if you're getting a lot of good production. From Meyer, you're gonna to want to try to find him, find his way onto the floor as much as you can at that four spot, and you know play 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 him next to a big. But if he you know if he if he doesn't live up to the hype, if he struggles, then all of a sudden you might want to play that two big lineup when uh, the towel goes off the floor. So uh, I think a lot of it's rel- rel- uh, relying on that. I think Thamba might be an interesting guy to do the 
um, the redshirt year on the the sophomore year redshirt. I know it gets kind of weird because they're going to lose. Uh, they're they're going to get Chamba Chachua um, from UNLV next year, which won't help, and they're only going to graduate Gillespie. Um, yeah, maybe Clark were, were to go pro. Um, you know, the town will be a redshirt junior, so he could maybe leave. Like, there might be some sense in uh, just sitting Thamba for the year and maintaining the eligibility. But you know, with the amount of front court they're bringing in, because they get Dane Danger and Zach Loveday in the 2020 class, I mean, one of them's just going to get boxed out of the rotation altogether. I think maybe we'll be Gillespie, but it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah, because I mean, you mentioned that next year they're they're really stocking up on a big man. I, I was surprised that they got. Uh, Zach Loveday, you know, he's someone who he visited, I think, Louisville and, and Ohio State as well, who I thought, you know, could have used a center more, especially Louisville. Um, he goes to Baylor that already has Danya, but, you know, him, him and Danya, very, very, very different skill sets, right? Loveday is like a stretch five. He's, he, he's seven foot, but he wants to stand around the perimeter. He wants to shoot. He wants to put the ball on the floor a little bit. Um, I, get, I mean, I guess kind of like Anthony Jones. Like, 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 whenever I see like a huge, um, like a huge guy, especially for for Baylor, you know, very lanky, very skinny, who wants to shoot the ball, I immediately think of Anthony Jones, who was on the team, I think, with with, with Quincy Miller and uh, Perry Jones. Maybe I'm miss, you know, maybe I'm kind of cobbling some of those teams together, but you know, that was exactly his game, super tall and shooter, and then Donnie is more of like a physical, uh, like like a rebounder and interior player. So so they'll make it work. But it's interesting where this team looks like. He's going to go three guards. Um, guy in, in, in Mark Vitale, someone who is probably considered a combo forward, but in terms of who they're bringing in, it looks like uh, Drew's pivoting back toward like a more traditional look. Yeah, no, definitely. They're going to play, you know, they're going to bruise you. I mean, in fairness, if you're going to be a team that is just going to thump the glass, it doesn't make sense to start recruiting a bunch of like, six nine shooters you know you want size you want you want physicality you want to be able to you know punch teams in the mouth and that's definitely uh what they're built to do so i think they're they're in good shape in terms of the long-term recruiting front but i think national perception of baylor is really fascinating it seems like they're just a team that everyone has tossed into that like top 25 in the 15 to 25 range pretty much everyone's penciling them in three in the big 12 but there's just literally no conversation about Baylor. And that's why I wanted to do the deep dive. That was before Mario Kegler went out, which got some people talking. But I feel like they're the least talked about top 20 consensus team in the country. Yeah, I think that there's, there's a, few, a few different reasons for that. Because you get the people who are going to talk about the teams like Seton Hall that runs everybody back. And there's this big, um, you know, kind of philosophical discussion of, you know, can a team that runs it back, you know, climb the standings or, or are they kind of or or, or or are they what they are um i i think that's that's a case-by-case basis but then you, you have to say okay well if if i if i think that a team like seton hall is going to be basically as good as 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 they were last year or only slightly better then then who then who goes in the top 15 right because you got to have 15 teams in your top 15 and then i think you turn to teams that like return some guys but are also adding people. Uh, but Baylor doesn't really fit there, too, because they don't have, like, these kind of standout additions, right? And and they lose, like, Makai Mason. Um, and it, the, the whole thing where they they play their best ball without their best player. Um, he, so, so he's back. So it's kind of like a team that um, kind of has a little bit of the 
guys coming back, a little bit of that new team, but then also this really weird wrinkle where they they're they're even more new than they seem on paper because you have to integrate Clark back into the lineup. I think all that kind of keeps them out of both ends of the spectrum where you have like your Virginia with a lot of turnover, but people are still ranking high and, and, and in teams that are more brand based, you know, Baylor is a good brand, especially recently. They've uh, really built up their basketball brand, but it's not the brand of like a Virginia Villanova Gonzaga, um, which, or, or where their turnover will stick out. Yeah. And I think the other thing was like, they were just kind of irrelevant last year, right? Like they were written off. Then they went on this like weird run where they won like six straight games in like mid January, and everyone just went from Baylor could sneak on Baylor was Baylor was left left for dead. Then like could sneak onto the bubble to like okay they're a lock, and then like then they just like hovered in nine seed territory forever, got their uh, got to the NCAA tournament, and and that was that right like they they didn't make a run they, they were just they were very they were like a very vanilla team last year, and so I think that that all kind of feeds into it. But I think it's fascinating, right? I mean they were they were an interesting kind of not quite run it back, but not quite, um, you know, not quite be all newcomers. And um, I think the Kegler loss does matter, but it's not, you know, not something they can't overcome. So uh, this is a pretty interesting team. Uh, I don't really move them down too much. I think I might move them down a couple spots in my top 25 to um, kind of, I think yeah, I'm at 17. I'm going to move them down to like 20, 21 range. Um, but I still have number three in the Big 12. Um, I think as a team, they're, you know, they're going to be really strong up front. They're going to be really solid on defense. They're experienced. Um, they've got very good guards. You know, I think the the spacing could be concerns at times by playing the two bigs, especially if you're going to get But you really need guys like Mitchell and Butler to shoot the ball well and Bandu as well. Uh, but they'll be efficient on offense. I mean, if they, can, if they can capture the magic of their offense down the stretch of a top 10 offense and then add a really efficient post player, I mean, watch out. They could be one of the best offenses in the country. Um, I don't know if they maybe have the star power, but you know Clark has the potential to be that guy certainly. And then I think ball control is the only concern I really have with them. Um, like I said, they're playing a bunch of combo guards. Even Mitchell, I don't think you'd consider like a true point guard, um, and that has its risks. So uh, while you have bunches of guys who can play point guards, you don't necessarily have one guy who's your true point guard who can handle situations late in the game. And I think that can matter. So I think that you have brought up a really, really good point on, in uh, terms of um, you know, why, why Baylor might be overlooked is that that 7, 8, 9 seed range in terms of NCAA tournament is, is, is really a dead zone because like, o- only one 7 seed is going to be ranked in the top 25. That's just you know, math, right? So you have those, those three teams that aren't, aren't ranked, right? No, no number next to them. They're not showing up on the ticker as much on uh, ESPN. You know, they're not showing up on the uh, d- default option on the scoreboard. Um, and then they're not bad enough to be on the bubble. So they're, they're, they're like perpetually safe, right? They're like two bad losses away from, from being on the bubble. Maybe a good win away from being in the top 25. But, you know, being, being stuck in limbo, um, you know, kind of really pushes them under the radar. Whereas, you know, even the teams that end up being safe that are like 10 seeds, you know, those – those teams are 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 still on on the bubble watch graphics and stuff. Um, come come conference tournament week, and then they kind of play their way in. Um, in terms of the uh, key key questions, you know, we've uh, touched on most of them, and then you did right there too. Uh, for me, it's it's the lineup versatility. You know, is 
is is two bigs feasible? Um, is playing Meyer in there feasible? And then you know can can Meyer in in Turner produce to replace Kegler? Uh, and then re- reintroducing Tristan Clark, you know, can they capture that that that, that same magic as, as you said? Um, you know, how can they uh, you know kind of re reintegrate him there? And then Teague and Mitchell transferring in, you know, they are are both needed to contribute immediately and probably play north of 20 minutes a game each. Uh, so that's that's a big question for them there. In terms of where where I ranked Baylor, um, so I had them, I think, 13th or 14th pre-Kegler. I've since moved them to 20th, which makes them a five seed. So I pretty much dropped them down one seed line. All right, sounds good to me. And then uh, just quickly there, national title odds, since you've been doing that the last couple of weeks. I mentioned this uh, as, as a real sleeper. Uh, last week, 50 to one for Baylor. I mean, you're getting top 20 juice uh, at 50 to one. I think you know, that works for me. I think that's decent odds. Uh, again, we're we're using Bovada for those lines. So if you're looking uh, to, to wager on those that we're mentioning, uh, don't don't get mad if your book doesn't have it. But uh, we use Bovada. So uh, once again, 50, 50 to one for for Baylor uh, as we look ahead there. Cool. Uh, anything else on the Bears? I think we're good to move on to Florida State. Florida State, team that I'm very high on. Uh, last year, 14th in Kempom, 29-8 overall, 13-5 in the ACC. Lost in the Sweet 16 to a very strong Gonzaga team, so they were on the same same quadrant as Baylor. Um, 36th in offense, 10th in defense. Um, their front court was a big part of that, but a lot of that is turning over, right? So they they a great interior D. Uh, they were 21st in two-point percentage defense, 30th in block rate. But Calvin Gelly is off to the Clippers. Uh, Kuba Jay, who, who actually looked very good in Summer League in, in the games that I saw. He's off, I think, in, in Exhibit 10 with the 76ers, which means he gets $50,000 to go to, to the Delaware 87ers um, as essentially like, a, like a, a affiliate player there. They also lose Phil Kofer, who was banged up a little last year. Uh, didn't, didn't have a great year compared to his year prior, but he... he He's another guy who can play some five. He can space the floor. Uh, you know, very good player there. And they also lose their best player in a Terrence Mann, which also contributed to that great defense, um, who's also off the Clippers. But um, so they they were 43rd in offensive rebounding. Um, mentioned the two point percentage defense was very strong at 21st. Uh, but per per uh, Leonard Hamilton, this is a theme. Um, th- 31st in bench minutes. He's He's not a play. He he's not afraid to play nine, ten, sometimes even eleven guys. Um, you know, kind of un unreasonably fe- feeding guys. You know, six to eight minutes a game. Uh, you know, pulling the old Roy Roy Williams strategy, but it uh, seems to be effective for him. Uh, they were tenth in average height last year, which you know they could even be higher than a tenth this year. They could they could push number one, I think. Um, and then as as what comes with depth, right? 300, 345th in two foul participation. If you're going to play all these guys anyway, no reason to risk your best players in foul trouble. Um, and then, you know, I mentioned that their front court, which was loaded with, you know, really strong defenders, is uh, turning over. But the guys who are coming in, Olenicic had a really good block rate at Ole Miss. Um, and, and, and Ole Miss's interior D was strong. They were 87th in two-point defense, despite Olenijic only playing about half the game. And Osborne also had a solid block rate at Rice. 
Yeah, no, 100%. Um, just kind of looking at the incomers and outgoers. Uh, one one guy you didn't mention, he's departing, uh, didn't mention him too much, was David Nichols, who I thought was just valuable as a guy who could get a bucket uh, for them. You know, not too many guys as valuable as he was. He averaged six and a half points a game, but that's kind of a spread the love mentality. But losing Kofor, Savoy, Nichols, Kumanji, and then uh, Kevin Gelly is huge, along with Terrence Mann. So, uh, there's not a lot of running it back with this group. It's a lot of new guys, but um, I think a tenant of everything that Leonard Hamilton's done has been really recruiting to his system and his style and uh, filling in the holes with, with breakout candidates, guys who developed, guys who were fed minutes uh, early on. And I think a lot of those guys will really benefit this year and um, several you know, potential breakout candidates on this Florida State team, including one I'm very high on, Devin Vassell. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, this, you know, I uh, touched on earlier, you know, how, just how big this, this team is. I mean, their s- smallest guy on scholarship, I think is Trent Forrest, who's like 6'4". You know, they didn't go out and uh, replace the David Nichols or like the CJ Walker role from years past of kind of that scoring point guard that could come in off the bench and hit some shots. I mean, you know, they're going to, you know, maybe struggle at times on offense, but you know, this is going to be a really, really imposing defense. They have crazy length at every position. Uh, you know, they can play big. They can play small, even with like a Raekwon Gray at the five and throwing uh, Patrick Williams at the four and Vassal at the three. So, uh, you know, they, they have a lot of different looks, but the, the one constant is this positional size and positional length. Yeah, and one guy that I really – I mean, obviously they bring in two seven-footers in uh, – Naheem McLeod, who's I believe seven seven three, or is he not? Did he not make the trip? Well, so he's there, but he's a non qualifier, or or maybe a partial qualifier for the NCAA. So so uh, he has to sit this year. But yeah, yeah. he's he's seven three. Uh, he he's like a top one fifty recruit. Um, um, yep. Yeah. And the other guy is Balsa Caprivisa, who is a uh, Montverde guy, I believe. He yep. Tons of skill was mentioned in the. Uh, the, the Will Wade conversations was, you know, that big kid. Uh, he, he was, quote, that big kid. And big certainly does uh, describe it well, seven feet one. And then um, the freshman wing, Patrick Williams, six eight, um, listed at 225. I thought he was a little skinnier than that. Um, but he is a very intriguing prospect, maybe a sneaky one-and-done type. I know last year we did our bets on, like, who might be, like, the outside the traditional range, top one top, uh, one-and-done guy. He is, he is an interesting case um, to be made there. But, you know, the potential to do like a 6'4", Trent Forrest, 6'6", Devin Vassell, 6'8", Patrick Williams, you know, 6'8", Malik Osborne, or 6'8", Raekwon Gray, and then 7 feet tall, Damo Lenichik or Kripisa is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and I, I think Williams is definitely going to be a uh, one and done. I mean, he's just like the perfect, um, you know, perfect modern fit. You know, got guys who aren't super easy to find. So in uh, EYBL, he averaged 13 and five and shot 40% from three. He's a very good athlete, a very good defender. And you mentioned 6'8", 225. He can play power forward. And that's that's the, the scarce position in the draft year in and year out, it seems, where, you know, you're doing a mock draft and you're in that late first uh, early second round, and, and you're you're looking at the NBA roster, and you're saying, 
okay, you know, this team, you know, they could use a guy who could play some three, play some four, hit some shots, and then you're you're bored of that, right? Like like on on your board, those guys just aren't there. Uh, you know, there, there's there's a big scarcity there, and that's why you see guys who, like you've never even heard of, um, like a Daquan Jeffries who had a good good career at Tulsa, but he was completely off the radar, and he was someone who was super draftable. He ends up, um, I think, going to training camp with the Magic after a strong summer league. Um, you know, guys guys like that just just, just pop up um, from kind of un, unknown places just just because of the scarcity. So I think Williams uh, is definitely going to be a first round pick next year. And on Williams, I mean, the size increase. So his stat, his his measured height and weight on D one circuit. For the 2018 EYBL season was 6'7", 175 pounds. He is now listed on the Florida State website at 6'8", 225, as I mentioned. Um, you know, he's got the size, the shot making. Um, he can shoot it outside. He's got 39% uh, from three in EYBL. Uh, did a little bit of rim, rim protecting, can rebound a little bit. Uh, has a good feel for the game. I think the shot is really the swing piece. He's got 66% on free throws in EYBL. Um, that's not necessarily a good indicator, uh, but did make 28 threes in 21 games. So he definitely can hit hit some outside shots. Um, you know that that size gain really does help because it lets him play some combo forward instead of being like a two three who's who's kind of too long and does give them a lot of lineup versatility um, to to pencil in there. So uh, he's he's a really interesting piece. Uh, when you when you look at this team, I think one of the things that jumps out is maybe they don't have a true best player, or at least not a best player in the traditional sense. I think there's a guy like. Uh, Trent Forrest, who you can make a really strong case for, is like the best player on a very good team because he impacts the game in so many ways. But a guy like Williams um, has best player upside in more of a traditional sense to the scoring ability, um, kind of the uh, the the overall game. Yeah, I'm I'm a big uh, Trent Trent Forrest guy. I think he can be their best player. You know, he doesn't shoot it, uh, but he, you know he's he's just awesome. Uh, you know, he can get to the rim. He, he he's a great defender. He can pass the ball. You know, he's just you know such an imposing player. And yeah, I bought all my Trent Forrest and and Kevin Gelly stock uh, two two seasons ago when uh, Florida State made a deep run to I think the Elite Eight. Um, you know they were just so so impressive in that tournament. And you know Forrest, uh, you know won won most of the point guard minutes last year. Uh, and I I think you know he's probably going to play thirty minutes at a point guard this year. I think he'll probably average mid mid double figures. Um, and then you know, a guy like MJ Walker too, who uh, we haven't mentioned yet. You know, f- former five star. Uh, he he looked a lot more confident last year, as opposed to his freshman year. But the numbers uh, um, essentially went down because he played a lot more, and the stats kind of stayed constant. Percentages went down. Um, he's someone who ha- has the talent, and if he can find that 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 kind of scoring chops there, you know, that's 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 his role for the taking. Because as much as I like Forrest, right, he's he doesn't have the uh, long-range shot. You know, he, he's 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 limited in that sense. Walker has that more traditional scoring package where he could, you know, potentially average 15 a game and be that uh, leading scorer. Um, so that's that's a real key for for, for Florida State is in finding, uh, you know, finding a shot there. Yeah, I'm way out on MJ Walker. Um, I just you know didn't love him as a recruit. He's one of those guys where he was an elite recruit by like the RSCI and all the other. Um, recruiting indexes, but um, just, you know, flat out, you know, didn't have the big offers, um, you know, can't really shoot, you know, is, is pretty inefficient around the rim. I mean, I get real scared when I see 35% from two. I mean, that's not a good number. 
Um, he's not an overly impactful defender either. Um, like I said, I'm just not necessarily a huge fan of his game. Uh, I'm really kind of pe- banking on Devin Vassell stepping up and taking his role. Uh, he was a guy who was really impressive in limited minutes last year, shot uh, 42% from three, uh, is a very solid defender, would project to be about a 50, 54 steal, 30 block guy in 30 minutes a game, uh, which is, you know, massive. I mean, those are, those are really good numbers. Um, you know, he, he, he's that really traditional three and D type, uh, type player. He can, he can shoot. He's really smart. I watched a little tape and, you know, I'm very impressed. He's got length. He's got, you know, the athleticism to defend multiple positions. I think, you know, he might fit a little better when you got this more playmaking guy in for, in Forrest, the point you got this all around wing, uh, wing forward in, in Williams. I think Vassal is kind of a natural fit as that, that three and D guy. And then Walker brings that energy off the bench as a, kind of attacking athlete slasher type who can hit some outside shots as well. And, you know, their, their possibilities on the wing aren't, aren't limited to, to those guys. I mean, they also have Nathaniel Jack, who's a 6'5 shooter last year, made 101 threes at a 41% clip at JUCO, 11 points per game uh, per the, the uh, NJCAA website. Uh, they also have Anthony Polite, who was in, in the rotation for, for, for most of last year, I think toward the end he got kind of bumped out. You know, he's he's you know he he didn't shoot it great. I think in theory he's supposed to be more of a shooter. Uh, but you know he also great size at six six. He's a lefty. He could put the ball on the floor. He's pretty versatile. Um, so he, you know he could also be in the mix there. And they also have uh, Raekwon Evans, who's a backup point guard um, and kind of the heir to the point guard position uh, for next year for for Florida State. He he has that great size at at six. Four. He's not the the physical guard of Forrest. He's he's uh, more lanky, but you know he he put up big AAU stats: twenty two nine and four. Uh, I mean, I mean, sorry, not 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 AAU stats, uh, JUCO stats. That is, uh, and you know he can hit shots, but he's not really a shooter. Um, so I mean, they have they have so many options, right? So they have the three projected starters for me, right? Are are Forrest Walker Williams, and then they have Vassal as a sixth man, and then. Between Evans, Polite, and Jack, I mean that's that's seven guys, old old guys, you know. Yeah, and they'll play most of them. Um, like I said, I have I have Vassal in there instead of Walker, but you know they'll all play. M- maybe none of them will get thirty minutes, um, but they can also, with Williams' size, push him to the four a little bit, depending on the um, how guys like Osborne and Gray play. Uh, Osborne's a guy I really liked. He was a he was an under the radar recruit. Who got a bunch of offers late out of um, Don Bosco Prep, which I believe is rebranded now. Um, they're they're down in Northwest Indiana, um, and he went to Rice uh, over a bunch of mid-major offers and was really really solid. You know, he could step out and shoot a little bit. You know, shot 27, percent but that's something he's going to do uh, for them. He, he finished well at the rim. You know, he's a versatile defender, very athletic. Uh, I think he'll be a really nice piece for them. I think they'll probably split the minutes um, pretty evenly. Um, between him and uh, Raekwon Gray, um, but they've got they've got really you know two options there. They'll probably split the minutes, but again, the depth is just so so valuable to have because you know they it, there's just so much less bust potential with a team when you're like okay, you know Malik Osborne can pan out and be really good, or at worst you have like this solid rotation player from last year in, in Gray. So you know I think that's you know it's a really nice luxury as a team to have. And the bus potential is also so low when you have so much size and length 
that you can just o- overwhelm teams uh, on on the defensive end. You know, I don't I don't know if uh, like like we have evidence to uh, support this, but I feel like a team like Florida State, like they're never gonna lose a bye game, right? Because they can just suffocate teams defensively and and athletically that you know th- they're just gonna be so matched physically that I don't think those teams even have like a chance to uh to assault you know like like it, it really gives them a high floor right and i mean even in like like even in conference play they're going to suffocate a lot of teams with their length they're going to really impact things um and i think that that really does does help and um you know but it feels like the floor for florida state right now is like a generally as a program on a year over year basis is to you know, go about eight and ten in the ACC and make the tournament as a bubble team, right? I mean, that's that's kind of where they've gotten uh, as a team. And so I think Florida, I think Florida State has, has done a really nice job under Hamilton of, of establishing themselves. I'm looking for your pie game stat, by the way. I mean, I don't, I don't know how we would even you know find it, but I just feel like teams... find their last pie game loss. Okay, so they lost to Hofstra on a neutral in 2015. But that was in the Virgin Islands, so that was a tournament. So that's not a buy game, technically. But yeah, yeah, but I, I'm not necessarily saying Florida State. I'm, I'm just saying, like, and any team that can put this much athleticism, sure. I, I feel, I feel that way. Feel like the the U19 and U U18 games too were, you know, l- looking at the U19 roster from this year, I'm like, wh- you know, where's the shooting? You know, like, why are you taking Isaac Likely and Jalen Suggs when they kind of overlap? But then watching the game, it's like, you know, you just put out all these super long athletes. And they're gonna they're gonna kill the offensive glass, you know. Clean up all these misses, get you easy baskets. They're gonna be suffocating on defense, and it's not it's not even gonna matter that you know that they couldn't shoot. Um, and that's yeah, it's how I feel about this uh, Florida State team as well. Um, and you know, Williams can uh, slide down and play the four in 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 what would be a super athletic lineup. You know, they could also um, you know, between Gray and Osborne. I like both those guys. Gray's a guy who, who played a lot down the stretch last year, averaged like, like 22 minutes per game in the NCAA tournament. You know, he's a bulky four man, has some passing skills. Um, he's he's six eight two sixty. You know, he, he, but but his, his ability to kind of shoot a little and uh, put the ball on on the floor some you know, is super valuable, especially if he's going to play that five spot. And then a guy like like Malik Osborne, uh, who only shot 27 percent from three, but I think he's more of a stretch guy than those numbers indicate. And then he can also, you know, really take opposing bigs off the dribble. It, it, you know, they just have so many looks, right? And I, I think that their floor is uh, really high. And I, I think that they're just like a go-to score stepping up away from being like a, like a consensus top 15 team. Yeah, no, I would, I would 100% agree there. Um, just kind of looking at the five spots since we've broken down every other position. Um, there's really not a lot of juice there with Olenichik in particular. We kind of know what he is. I mean, he's he's a steady, you know, 20-minute-a-game or so big man who can, you know, block a shot, you know, finish around the rim. He doesn't space the floor. He's not overly mobile. But, you know, he's steady. He does the job. I think uh, Kerpervis is a guy who at one point was seen as, like, a top 30 recruit, maybe potential five-star. His, his stock dropped. Uh, not sure totally why, um, just because I wasn't – overly following him as a recruit younger he, he's got a lot of he's got a really interesting skill set as a you know a bigger guy he moves really really well he can really run the floor 
Um, so he, he, he definitely has more upside. I think it's just more of a question of how impactful is he uh, early on. But, um, you know, I think he can probably eat some minutes, if nothing else. Uh, I watched a couple of Montverde games over the summer and you know, thought he looked really solid. It's, it's tough for anyone to truly pop on that stage because everyone is so good. You know, when you're watching, like, I watched Montverde versus La Lumiere. And it's like, great, we get to watch, like, six five-stars and, like, eight four-stars play against each other. Which, I mean, like, you're just not seeing any, like, physical dominance, except if you're Cade Cunningham. And obviously, like, that's not scouting, and realistically, there's not going to be a ton of dominance, but I can prove it. So, like, there's a lot of college teams that aren't as good as Lalu Mir was last year, at least from a talent perspective. Right, and you know, the thing with uh, Kaprivitsa, where you know, he, he's at this big school, and you know, his, his stats are going to slow up, right? It, even on the AAU circuit, you know, he didn't play on a great AAU team, I don't think, but he only averaged 9-8-1. But the thing with him is, you know, he doesn't space the floor, uh, but he's a really skilled interior player, and you mentioned he, he moves really well. Um, I think probably the reason why he fell is He's not like super physically imposing. He's, he's not super bouncy, uh, and I'm guessing his wingspan's not super high, uh, but his floor is very high. Yes, I would I would 100% agree on that. So, you know, they're going to go a legit 10, maybe even 11 deep, and that's that's not unexpected for for what Leonard Hamilton can do and has done in the past. Um, but you know. The, they're 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 an interesting team. They they definitely don't have the star power like you said, unless Patrick Williams can really step up and and be that guy. I really like Devin Vassell as I as I've said several times on the show. I think he'll be a really nice piece. Forrest is is a very good, you know, second or third best player. I think in my mind at least. I don't I don't know that he's got like all conference level juice, which is I think what you're looking for uh, from a guy like that. But you know. They're gonna they're gonna hit the glass because they always do under Leonard Hamilton. They're going to, you know, defend because they always have under Leonard Hamilton. I mean, you, you just look statistically tenth in defense last year, thirty third, thirty first. I mean, they 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 had a number one defense in the country in twenty eleven, tenth in twenty twelve, second in twenty ten. I mean, if he, he's a great defensive coach, and the other area they're gonna thrive is on the glass. They've been top fifty in rebounding the last three years on the offensive glass, on the defensive glass. Um, you know, they're usually you know, right about average. And so um, they'll, they'll be just fine uh, from that perspective. Um, you know, they're, they, they need a little bit more spacing. I think Vassal can, can give them that. I think playing Walker will hurt in that regard. Uh, but, yeah, I think the, the legitimate only concern is, do they have a guy to go get a shot? Absolutely. And, then, I mean, another potential concern, right, is, Terrence Mann was so important. You know, he was multi-positional. He could create. Uh, you know, he, he he's seen as like a triple-double type of guy, despite only averaging like like two and a half assists per game last year. But I think he had a triple-double in the summer league, or, or you know, he 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 has that that kind of passing capability, ability to handle the ball as a bigger wing. Um, I don't think Devin Vassell is like that much of a ball handler type. Not sure about Patrick Williams either. So, you know, they're not going to have that, like, Swiss Army knife type. Um, you know, maybe one of them can, can step into it, but, you know, that's, that's a potential hole um, on the roster. And then, you know, can, can Olenicek and, and uh, Kaprivica and Gray hold down that center position? They're not going to have someone as offensively gifted as, as 
uh, Kevin Gelly, um, you know, who was who who was really special um, in in his two eligible seasons at at, at Florida State. So it's going to be a little different offensively, but I just can't emphasize enough how excited I am to watch this defense with all this size and length. It, you know, it's going to be really really ugly in terms of like the game game aesthetics, but you know, it's going to it's going to be fun too. Yes, no, I would 100% agree. Um, kind of curious, Brad. Compare them with with Baylor. Who do you like more? I like Florida State more. Um, so Baylor, Baylor probably has the best player in Clark, right? But there's there's a lot of uncertainty as as to how that that whole team is going to come together, right? Throwing Clark back in, Butler taking the next step. Guys like Mitchell and Teague coming in from from vastly different scenarios. You know, one a, a guy in Mitchell having his role increased, a guy in Teague having his role decreased. You know how how that all kind of works. I feel like this this uh, Florida State team is very straightforward. I feel like that they have enough shooting, they have a ton of size. I think that you know this is a real safe pick, and I, and I think you know as as we try to identify the teams, you know to to, to kind of fill out like our top. 10 or top 15 and we say all right you know the, the teams that, that return everybody we can't put that high usually right so it's like a team that returns just enough but is adding just enough and i i think that this florida state team fall, falls in that role where they're returning veterans they're returning guys who can really pop and you know as, as a sophomore like a devin vassal they've also added some some veterans to fill holes and you know they have uh a lot of really good athletes, guys, you know, guys who can shoot. I think that this is just a more more complete Florida State team, and and a team that's a lot safer too in terms of ranking highly. So here's another one, uh, Purdue, another team, very solid. You know, projects to have very you know solid depth, excellent defensively, very good coach. Don't have that elite score to get you a bucket. What do you think of that comparison? Because I think. You know, I think I all have these teams in the same range, that, you know, 18 to 28 range of my top 25 with, you know, fringe top 10 upside. So I, I have Florida State actually a lot higher than, than Purdue. I think um, with with Purdue, so they have probably, probably three of their starters are going to be excellent defenders. So their defense should be pretty good again. You know, but, you know... Uh, I'm not a huge uh, a Trevion Williams guy, and and then they they have guys like Stefanovic who are going to have to play a lot bigger role. Proctor is in a similar situation um, to, to like a Machio Teague, where they're going to need him, but he's also going to have to scale it down a little bit. It's 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 like a weird mix there, um, and I, I think Florida State's talent levels is a lot higher, right? I I, I think Forrest is is better than Eastern. I think Walker is better than Proctor. Williams better than uh, Stefanovic, and you know while while Purdue I think has the front court edge, um, at, at least offensively, the uh, Florida State front court is going to be very good on the defensive end. And I think Florida State's depth is also on another level to to Purdue's depth as well. That's why I have I have Purdue I think thirty third, and I have Florida State fourteen. Okay, thirteen is definitely more bullish than I, um, but it's not unjustifiable certainly. So um, I don't know if if you have your rankings right right in front of you at this point, uh, but but for me, really at like 
12 to, or, or maybe even like 10 to 15 is where you can really go in a lot of different directions. Right. So, so who's your 10 to 15 nationally? Okay. So let me just pull my rankings up here uh, off the top of my, I, I, I was on, I was on the Stepien podcast last week. You definitely should check that out. Um, Mid major podcast. We broke down a lot of guys um, and I'm not just plugging them. I had a, a thought with that. I think that, I basically said on the podcast when they said when I mentioned that I was you know top top twelve Memphis hype, they said oh no you know that's that's too high you know like the Wiseman stuff and um, and I was basically there's a cutoff and I feel like they're so talented um, that you know you you're, you kind of have to buy them so I have Memphis at nine and then I have Texas Tech at ten Maryland at eleven Gonzaga at twelve Ohio State at thirteen Virginia at fourteen. LSU at 15, Villanova at 16, Baylor at 17. That's pre uh, the Kegler injury, so I might move them down a little bit. Washington at 18, Seton Hall at 19, Purdue at 20, VCU at 21, Alabama 22, Arizona 23, Marquette 24, Florida State 25. Yeah, so so for me, yeah, so I, I have Texas Tech at nine, and then I feel like there's there's a big drop in uh, confidence for me after that. Right, where I've seen Hall at 10, I do not feel good about that whatsoever. I have Memphis at 11. Love the talent, but you know that's that's a very high high variance outcome there with with Memphis. I have Oregon at 12. Also, you know, talent's great, but that's a lot of new pieces there. Um, I have Arizona at 13. With with Williams, I had them at number six. I was really high on them. I think 13. I think 13 is about right. I'm I'm pretty comfortable there, but I I w- I wouldn't be surprised to see them closer to like 20 or 25. And then I have Florida State at 14, and and for me that's that's a pretty um, a pretty equal level of confidence across those five teams. Um, and then for me, so so there's a big drop from nine to ten from Texas Tech to Seton Hall. Also feel like there's a big drop from 14 to 15 where I have Florida State and then Utah State. Um, but you know those those 10, 10 to 14. I don't feel like any of those teams are, are really top 15 teams. I feel like they're probably more top 20 teams, but you, you, know, you, you, uh, you just got to fill, fill the rankings, right? Your, your top 15 has to have 15 teams. Um, and and those, those teams, I think, are all um, in, in a similar spot where there's, there's a lot of things to like, but there's also some, some underlying concerns where if you put out a ranking with those guys, you know, people could, could really poke holes. You know, like Seton Hall was 60th in Kempom. How do you have him 10th now? Right, Memphis, all these new pieces, that's un, almost unprecedented, unprecedented for them to be that good. Oregon, same, same sort of thing, all these new pieces. Arizona was bad last year. You know, a lot of people aren't huge Manning guys. I've seen, seen a lot of people not, not like Arizona's front court as well. And then Florida State, that, you know, we've, we've touched on that. They're a go-to scorer away. Um, shooting, you know, could be a concern out outside of one or two guys. The front court's turned over, um, but I, I think those those five teams, I think, are 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 teams that I'm all uh, are f- fairly confident about, despite the uh, concerns. Yeah, no, I can I can totally buy that, hundred uh, percent. Uh, so definitely definitely good stuff there. It, it, it's tough. There that tier, as you said, it's just it's really hard to to choose which ones to buy and. Obviously, a little bit of it is kind of a you kind of a feel thing. Like I, I know I'm pretty high on LSU. 
Uh, so, you know, a huge Will Wade buyer. I think they'll they'll be just fine. Uh, pun intended there on Will Wade buyer, by the way, folks. Uh, I'm here all week. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think, you know, Florida State, you know, for, definitely top 25 team in my mind. The floor is kind of where I have them. Um, the, or maybe, I guess the floor would probably be like 30, 35. Um, but the ceiling could, you know, top 10 bus. So oh, this is a really interesting team. Bovada has them 50 to 1, just like Baylor to win the national hill. So another reason why I made that comparison. So uh, definitely, I think definitely since the Seminoles, there's a lot to like uh, with this group. You know, they've got the NBA prospect potentially in Williams. They've got the you know, great college player in Forrest, another potential NBA guy in Devin Vassell. And, you know, and I, uh, you know, draft Twitter is a huge fan of, which I think is incredible. Um, just because, you know, he averaged four points a game as a freshman, but you know, it is what it is. And, you know, they've got depth, they've got talent. No, they're in really good shape. That's all I have for Florida State. Anything else for you? All, yeah, I think that's all we have for the show, right? Um, well, well, there's one, uh, one more thing that we should have mentioned earlier, but you know, it's it's, it's probably not not worth as much as we would have talked about it had we touched on it earlier. But uh, Georgia Tech is not going to the NCAA tournament officially; they are ineligible, and I think it's kind of unfair um, how how they've you know how how that news has been uh, received by the general public, like. Oh, they would have never made it anyway. Like, oh, it's like saying I can't play in the NBA. Huh. You know, ha ha ha. But I mean, they were they were a lot better than people are giving them credit for. You know, that's a team that probably would have been in the NCAA tournament mix up until like late late February. Um, you know, they have they have a really good starting lineup. They have a really good center in James Banks. And, and while I don't think that they were a tournament team, they you know they had a ton of question marks. I think that the reception that they've that 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 news has has come with is uh, very unfair. Yeah, that half I had a half funny, half not argument with Sam Vecini about this on Twitter because he 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 made one of the jokes. I was like, I mean, Georgia Tech was legit a top seventy five team preseason. Like they would have been fine. Like good starting lineup. You know, Devoe's a breakout guy, et cetera. And he's like, yeah, like I'm just like not that high on them. I think Boston College is a better roster. I was like, Boston College is a better roster. Boston College has three useful players, and that's counting on Derek Thornton, who's never been useful, to be a useful player. And he was like, oh, Derek Thornton's better than Jose Alvarado. And I was like, whoa there. But then he said James Banks is better than Popovich. And I was like, that was the one I was prepared to give you. And then we both basically decided it was not worth arguing about because they were neither team was all that relevant. But <laughs> I, think, I think the real juice is, is whether, the, whether Pastner is um you know gonna get fired uh i talked to my my legal expert source uh who mentioned the possibility that him not getting fired early uh or before the season could present challenges in firing him for cause because people might say it was for performance actually it was not actually for the ncaa sanctions but at some point i mean georgia tech it's georgia tech's in a tough spot where like i don't think they're committing enough resources to men's basketball they expect to be a consistent winner but also Josh Pastner is clearly not the guy to make them a consistent winner. So you kind of have to just reshuffle the deck and hope you hit a big one with a mid-major coach. I just, I just don't really, I just don't really buy keeping on Pastner, but it's going to be, you know, very, very interesting to see what they do because it seems like at least early that he has some kind of, there's some kind of vote of confidence from that administration. Um, but obviously a long way to go. Yeah, and then just uh, one last thing on Georgia Tech for this upcoming year. Uh, so Bart Bart Torvik in, in his preseason rankings has them at 
63, which means, you know, kind of, kind of what I described where, you know, it's, it's February and it's, you know, they're on, they're on the bubble and they said, well, you know, they're, they're probably like six and nine in the ACC or, or now it would be like seven and 10 in the ACC, like three games left. And it's like, well, you know, if they win two and then they win their first ACC tournament game and they get like a blue blood, uh, you know, maybe they can sneak in and then they, you know, kind of, drop a game and kind of fade off into like a four seed in the NIT. That's like the kind of team that they had, but I mean, they, they, they can't, can't even go to the NIT now. Um, so that's, that's a disappointing end there for uh, Georgia tech. Yeah. And so their best shot because bank is going to graduate. You know, he's got all the upside uh, with this team. He's probably the best player. And, you know, you never know if DeVoe is too good. He gets good too fast. And then you'll lose him like a Kogi, you know, Alvarado is what he, what he is. I don't think he's guy can lead you to the, t- promised land so yeah it's it's tough it really stinks for 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 that team that that program it comes down really late which doesn't help the kids if they want to grad transfer or just transfer out you know should be able to transfer that sitting in my mind um but at this point it's too late you know i saw tweets about it. i was like do you have any concept of college like how yeah. you <laughs> midterms you know like if it was northwestern or something where classes only began last week or in like oregon i read that in folly dante hasn't entered class yet uh, or it hasn't started practicing yet, but like Oregon classes start till next week. And I was like, how in the world? But like, how who starts later than me? Uh, but if it was something like that, then maybe. But like Georgia Tech has probably been in school for like six weeks. <laughs> you can't just like let him leave and then roll in a class because he literally could not be in school. <laughs> yeah. Like the, I understand there there are debates about you know should players be paid whatever, but I don't think it's debatable. That, that a player be enrolled in school when he plays. And then Bang's got a waiver last year, right? Correct. So he couldn't even grad transfer. But you know, he could sit this year if he wanted to and then grad transfer next year. But I think in his case, just you know, play out the year, go, go play in the G League or you know, maybe get an Exhibit 10 or something. Yeah, and as you, as you mentioned with the, uh, the sit out the year, I'm interested to see if a football trend comes to basketball. I don't believe right now that the rules allow for you to take like a healthy red shirt after playing several games. Like if you just decided, oh, you know, 10 games in, I want to sit out the rest of the year, like you would with an injury. But that's what football's established is that a blanket rule, four games, no matter what you can play. If you don't, if you only play four games, you can red shirt. I'd be very interested to see te- some teams kind of have a bad non-conference or, and, and a kid just decide, okay, I'm going to red shirt for the year, which is what some football teams, I think Houston was the big one with the Eric King. We've seen in the past, Jalen McCleskey did it at Oklahoma State. Uh, to redshirt and grad transfer. Um, a few others, Kansas is having one happen right now. So um, that's an interesting trend in college football that I could, could see coming to the college basketball world. I think the thing on that, though, is as a basketball player, if you're good enough that you have the ability to tell your coach, you know, thanks but no thanks, I'll come back next year, you're probably just going pro overseas, right? Yeah. That's fair. Whereas in football, there's really what one and a half leagues, right? There's the NFL well, and then there's like the XFL, but that's kind of. I think where you would apply it most would be seniors would come in like if you were if you were like on the fence and you couldn't grad transfer, would be you'd play like the first several games, and if the season's going poorly, you just sit the rest of the year, and then you grad transfer. Yeah. Like like an injured version of that would be like KJ Fegan this year where he plays a few games and then, like, gets hurt and then gets to grad transfer. 
I could see a lot. I could see some some like mid major kids or like even like a high major bench player not getting as much minutes. Like an Elijah Burns type, where instead of just leaving, he just redshirt the rest of the year and then graduate and transfer. Something to watch. That's all I have. Yeah, that's all for me as well. So uh, once again, check out those conference previews that are going to be coming. Um, check out uh, our podcast as we come up. We've got all those deep dives logged for you in your podcast app. Um, we've been going undergoing a bit of a transition. We joined the Underdog Podcast Network. We're really excited about that. But that does mean there's kind of a, a gap for now between um, where you're finding our podcast. We have a new page. It's going to become linked together at some point. We're working on uh, the code end of that. So apologies if you're having trouble finding the page. You know, you can shoot me a tweet if you're having trouble. I guess if you're listening, you found it. No problem. But uh, I figure I announced it here anyway. Um, but yeah, once again, we're, we're making that transition. So it's been a little bit difficult. Um, but look for our podcast. You can find some of the old deep dives and we'll have plenty more great content as the season comes up. So once again, uh, thanks so much for listening. Hope you guys have a great uh, week.